the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. Pastor Dale here. Welcome to church this weekend. So glad that you're here. Excited about our series, From Heaven to Earth. We're talking about how God wants to bring His heaven into your earth. So many things that are in heaven that God wants to impart to you. Jesus taught us to pray that what is in heaven would come to earth. One of those things is peace, and God wants you to experience peace in your own life, and that God wants you to have peace to share with others. He wants you to be a peacemaker. In this series, we're going to the Holy Land. We're taking time to go back to the land of the Bible and learning some lessons from that great land. So I know that you're going to be excited to share with me in today's message, talking about experiencing peace, bringing the peace of heaven down into our earth. Let's study together. Early in the morning, Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So twenty-two thousand men left, while ten thousand remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank with cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the three hundred, who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. So what I want you to see here is here in this moment, God brings Gideon here to this place. If it was not exactly here, we think this is pretty much the original site, okay? It's one of those places in Israel that a lot of people would say that this is the place. Well, you know, rivers and streams may change a little bit over the years, but we're very close to the place that this happened. And so God says, I want to bring you here, and I want to thin down your army because there are far too many of you to go against the Midianites Not because what will happen is that you'll fight the battle and you'll take the credit for it, okay? I mean, that sometimes we take credit for stuff that God did for us, all right? And so we get all big head about, we think we did something, and God says, I want to make sure that that doesn't happen to you, and so I'm going to thin down your crowd down to 300. Now, there would have been thousands of many nights against 300 of Gideon and his army. And so God was going to show him there in that moment, show Gideon and all the others the degree of his power. 
And so if you read on in the story, you realize how it happened, how God used the, the process of some, uh, some, some lanterns that were used and how they broke the lanterns and the light spread in a significant way, getting heaven divided his army into groups of 100. And so the Midianites actually thought there were far more men than there really were, but actually they were only 300 and they had this massive, amazing victory. So a couple of things that I want to just leave you with today, and then you'll have some time just to sort of hang out in the site just for a few moments. First of all, the backdrop of this is the story of Gideon being called by God at a place where he had been experiencing massive fear. And there in that moment when God called him, God revealed one of his names to Gideon. And one of those names of God is Jehovah Shalom. Say that with me, Jehovah Shalom. God showed Gideon that day, I am the Lord who is your peace, okay? And so Gideon had an awareness that whatever he was going into, he was going into it with Yahweh Shalom, Yahweh Jehovah who is Shalom. And so it was that backdrop of the peace of God that when God said, how many know that when God says you got too many, I'm not thinking I don't have too many, I need more, okay? But when God says you've got too many, then you're able to handle that because you already know that who is with you. The Lord who is peace is already with you. So he had that backdrop, and this is what you and I need to remember, that as you walk through life, you need to hold on to the promises of God, okay? Because it's the promises of God that'll get you through the battles of your life, okay? God's promises are things that you need to know and hold on to. So, so Gideon had that promise of God that he is Jehovah Shalom. And so when God told him, then down your army, he knew that still everything was going to be okay. Because with the peace of God, there was the awareness that God would not only come in peace, but God would also come in power. And so my encouragement to you today is that you will become very, very familiar in your life with the promises of God. They're not just meant to be known. They're meant to be claimed. Think about a promise of God. It's like a check that God has written you. And he's saying, here's a check. I've written it out in your name. Here's a promise. But you have to, when you have a check, Back in the old days, most of us don't do this with checks any longer, but back in the old days with a check, you took it to the bank or someplace to get it cashed, and you actually had to do something. What did you have to do? You had to endorse the check, okay? You had to sign it. So the money did not become yours until you endorsed it. And so think of the promises of God that way, that God's promises given to you are like a check, that God says, here's what I want to do in your life. Now I want you to add your faith to it, okay? You endorse it. You put your name on it. And when you put your name on it, it's cast for reality in your life. So Gideon lived in the promise. Let me encourage you to live in the promise of God as well. Amen. Pastor Joe, we're here in Gideon Springs. And um, can you talk a little bit about just the promises of God that God has for us? Yeah. The place we're sitting really is a wonderful place. We're really... Uh, uh, God brought, through Gideon, brought the men down to drink of the water, determine who was going to go into the battle. And the men that did it, drank the, the right way from the water, were, were set apart. But what the backdrop of that story is, a lot of people maybe don't realize, was the fact that God had given Gideon some promises about mm -hmm. battling the Midianites who were coming against wow. uh, Israel at that time. And the promise was, the Lord is my peace. He was reminded of the fact that God was the peace that whatever he went through, that God was going to be there in peace and victory for him. So I think many times, Steve, what we need to realize in life is that when we're going into things, it's always better to go into it with a promise of God. Mm -hmm. Whatever you're facing in life, it's great to, to have a promise yeah. that you're carrying with you That's into good. your day, into your week, into your future. That's good. 
Can you talk a little bit about how we can um, do a better job of getting to know the promises of God for our life? Yeah. The Bible is filled with promises. Uh, anytime you read a promise, uh, read something that rings with, the Lord is my refuge and strength. That mm -hmm. the Lord is, that's a promise that God gives you. My God will supply all of your needs yeah. according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Yeah. That will is a promise. Uh, many times you just see, uh, you know, uh, I, can, I can do all things through Christ right. who gives me strength. Right. That is a promise that we hold on to. So anytime that there's a declarative statement of what God will do for us, it's just like when I say to you, hey, Steve, uh, I'm going to buy you, you know, a, a, a Coke. I'm going to buy you uh, your, your lunch, okay? That's a promise. I will do this That's for great. you. And so as you read through Scripture, what you want to do is look for those passages where God is saying, this is what I will do for yeah. you. And the I wills, I shalls, I have, those are the promises yeah. can of God. you talk about like how, how we can connect our faith to those promises? Yes. Because I think sometimes we know the promises, we've read them, yes. but then we want to we wanna be able to apply you know, that promise to our life. Right. Well, promises are always only as good as the person making them. You know, if, wow. if you make a promise to me and you're, not, and, and you're not reliable, okay, then I can't count on it. And that's where it all starts with God, that when God makes a promise to us, we have the, we, we have the assurance that we actually are serving a God who, is, who has reliability, yeah. that God never tells you something that he doesn't do. So that's where it begins. And so then you take that promise and you claim it. It's just like, uh, like, like uh, I'm going to talk about this as a part of the teaching. It's like a, a check that's written out to you and how you endorse that check and say, this is for me and for my life, and then utilize your faith. For example, uh, whenever you accept Jesus Christ as Lord of your life, yeah. John 3:16, for God yeah. so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that yeah. whoever believes in me shall not perish but have everlasting life. Notice the promise, whoever believes in me shall not perish yeah. but have everlasting life. There was a day in my life I said, I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I claim that. Yeah. That's for me. Yeah. Whoever believes in me, that's me. And yeah. so I claim that and now it becomes mine. And with that faith, the promise of God is activated. That's and great. then the power of God is released. See, for Gideon, it started with the promise, but the promise led to the power. The same uh, is true in our lives wow. as well. So we can be fully confident in the promise because of who the promise came from. Absolutely. Awesome. And with the promise will always come the power. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. As I said, I want to talk to you just for a couple of moments about how do you navigate the storms of life. And one of the things that we realize in life is that life always, from time to time, will send you a storm. It's just a part of life experiences. There are times of things that happen that you didn't anticipate happening. There are things that you're dealing with in life that you realize, where did that come from? And this is exactly what was going on with the disciples on the boat that night. There was this moment where this furious squall, this sort of storm came upon them. And from what I understand about the Sea of Galilee, 
uh, the storms can come up fairly quickly here without any kind of uh, really notice. It just sort of happens because of the way the sea is uh, the, situated with the mountains around and the way the currents work here in terms of wind currents and so forth. And so it would have been very easy for this storm to have happened without any kind of expectation. And I, I've learned in life, and I'm sure that you've learned as well, that sometimes the storms of life happen suddenly. You didn't realize they were coming. Just all of a sudden, boom, there they are. And you're having to deal with something that otherwise you would not have had to deal with. So it's really upon you in a moment and season time. And that's really what happened for the disciples. And in the midst of this situation, what we normally experience is a common human emotion called fear. And that's something we all experience. We all have these moments as things happen. We look and say, what's going to happen? How will we handle this? What if this happens? What if that happens? And the fear begins to feed itself. Have you noticed how fear feeds itself? Once it gets started, it just it's sort of like an unraveling thread on the sweater. You begin to pull, and then there's always more and more and more. And when fear gets started, it's kind of a never-ending process when you go down the pathway of fear. And so the disciples were facing that that night. They were afraid. They, are we going to make it to the other side? Now, where was Jesus all the time? Where was he? He was in the boat with them, okay? And they had forgotten who was in the boat with them, okay? And Jesus, the, the, you, know, you often ask, why was Jesus sleeping? Well, he was human, so he was tired, okay? He was fully God, fully man, and so he was taking a nap. But I, one of the other things I think that we need to realize is that the things that bother us never bother Jesus, okay? The things that bother us never trouble him. And so there was never a moment that Jesus woke up in a panic saying, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? We've got a storm going on. So it was not bothering Jesus. He had the capacity to rest in the midst of the storm. The disciples didn't because they are human beings just like you and me. And so because we are human, we have a hard time resting in the midst of a storm. But there when they awakened Jesus in that moment, they asked him, don't you care that we're about to drown. How I many of you that was a dumb question, right? Okay, That was not the smartest question in town because, of course, Jesus cared. But they are still in the midst of their fear wondering, does Jesus really care about me? And that's one of the questions that will oftentimes come up when you're going through a storm in life. Where is God? Is God around anywhere? Does God even care about what I'm going through? Let's just be a little honest here this morning. Let's be fully honest here this morning, all right? How many of you have had a moment before in your life where you say, God, where are you and do you care about me? Come on, raise your hand and tell the truth this morning, all right? We've all had those moments. God, where are you and do you really care about me? And the disciples experienced that as well. And of course, what happened was in the midst of this situation, Jesus rose from his sleep and he said, why are you so afraid? You need to have faith. So the antidote for fear is what? Faith. Exactly right. So Jesus said, don't let fear take over in your life. What you do is you battle fear with faith. And so the antidote to fear in your life is always the exercising of faith. And Jesus rose up and did something there in that moment. He rebuked the wind and the waves. He said, be still and there was a peace that came over the Sea of Galilee. The storm that had been uh, raging suddenly went away. That word suddenly is important because when Jesus said, peace be still, when he spoke peace to the storm, peace is not just an emotion you experience. Peace is more than an emotion. Peace is when God steps in and changes a circumstance. Because what Jesus did, he said, peace be still. The actual original uh, Greek language there for be still 
uh, one translation says, be quiet. He spoke to the wind and said, and the waves said, be quiet or be still. And the actual literal meaning of that phrase in the Greek language is put a muzzle on it. Okay. In other words, you've seen dogs that had to be muzzled before. What happens with a dog when there's something that actually is shut down? There's something that stops, something that changes. And so what I want to share with you today and just something that I want to leave with you as a part of this experience, we're talking about navigating life's problems and challenges, that storms are going to come up in your life. That's just reality, okay? We live life. We face storms. Sometimes they're sudden when they come our way. But in the midst of it, the natural human reaction is going to be fear. But you don't have to stay there. That's the good news, okay? You can have fear, but you don't have to live there, right? You just visit it for a moment, and then you send faith to deal with the fear, right? And then you realize that Jesus never left your boat. Isn't that good to know, okay? Even though you may feel like he left your boat, may you, you may feel like he's asleep and not paying attention, always remember that if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life, Jesus is already in your boat. He never leaves your boat. He's always there with you. And that in the midst of it, you don't have to fix the storm. Jesus fixes the storm, okay? Because I, I can't calm wind and waves. How about you, okay? But Jesus can. And he's the one that you turn to in those moments. And he doesn't just give you a good feeling on the inside. That's great. It's great to have a good feeling on the inside. But Jesus doesn't just give you a good feeling on the inside. He actually does things that changes circumstances. And so I would ask you this, this, this day, as you think about your own life, what storms are you navigating in your life right now? What are the storms in your life right now? And what, are, what, what information... Are the, is, is those storms giving you in terms of fear? What's making you afraid in your life right now? What I want us to do in the next few moments is to bring our storms to Jesus. And I want you, as we're sitting on the Sea of Galilee, to just hear Jesus speak to your storm and say to you today, peace be still. In other words, to your storm, Jesus is going to say to you today, put a muzzle on it, okay? I'm going to change this. I'm going to transform things. In fact, I believe that while we are right here, while I'm sharing these words with you today, that whatever it is that's going on in your life, maybe here in your heart, maybe back home, maybe wherever you are today in your life, that I believe that in this moment as we pray together, that Jesus can bring a calm to your storm and change your circumstance. I believe that miracles can happen because we're on a sea that witnessed a lot of miracles. I think we need to trust God for some miracles in our lives today. Amen. Welcome, uh, everyone, to the uh, Shepherd's Field uh, area in Bethlehem. And uh, we want to talk just for a few moments about the birth of Jesus. We visited the Church of the Nativity, and, of course, we saw what is the, tradi what is the tr tr traditional site of Jesus' birth. But we want to read the story of Jesus' birth and uh, tie it into the place where we are right now. It's in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse number 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. That, this was the first census that took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Galilee, and that, and Gal, town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem. That's where we are. The town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She, a son. she wrapped him in clothes, placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. 
and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Of course, this is the story of the announcing of Jesus' birth to the shepherds in the field out, fields outside of Bethlehem. What you're looking at here represents some of the fields that could potentially have been a site, the site, or a site similar to this, where these shepherds would have been. And many people believe that these were the shepherds that were tending flocks that could have been utilized for the sacrifice, sacrifices in the temple, which obviously would have been very appropriate because Jesus was coming to be the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the world. And so whether that was the case or not, we don't know, but it certainly is, is not inappropriate speculation that these shepherds could have been temple shepherds caring for sheep that would have gone up to the temple in Jerusalem. But what happened there that night is we find as there is this annunciation, this declaration, this birth announcement. Think about it, that when a new baby is born, one of the things you want to do is tell everybody, right? Okay, you sent out a birth announcement and God is giving the first birth announcement to the world. And think with me for a moment of all the people God could have given the first birth announcement to, who did he give it to? A bunch of shepherds. Now, shepherds were not considered to be upper echelon of society. They were not considered to be the elite of the elite, certainly. They were at a lowly level of, of really kind of a mundane sort of job. And you would think that perhaps God, when he announced the birth of his son into the world, would go to the palaces of a king somewhere, go to the people that were really rich or important, and announce it to them. But what I want you to see is that when God first announced the birth of his son in the world, he came to humble, lowly shepherds out in a field like this, as we're seeing here today, and he announced to them, Christ the Savior has been born. And then, of course, it wasn't that much longer uh, when a star appeared in the east to some magi. We don't know for sure. The Bible never says it was three magi, but we know that they brought gifts. We get the three magi based upon the three gifts that are given. But there you see the elite of society. Those magi represented king makers, those who were really powerful people in the world of Persia at that time. And so there is the star that appears to them, and they make the journey and eventually find their way to the Christ child. And in this story, we see that both from the lowliest person in society to the highest person in society, Jesus brings us all together. Amen? Jesus is the one that brings us to the place of realizing there's no one too low for him that cannot find him, and there's no one too high that doesn't need him. 
And so the story of Jesus' birth, particularly the announcement, I always like to remind people of the fact that God announced it to both dimensions of society because everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. It's that recognition that we, are, we bring to us today for remembrance right here at the Shepherd's Field. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word and make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.